This is Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Vincent Hoppy. I'm the pastor here at Grace and Peace Church. Grace and Peace exists to bring the healing of the gospel to every broken place, and that includes our broken hearts. So, you know, we don't come here because we've got it cleaned up, but rather, if you step into these doors, it is almost a confession, at least to me, that you are a, a messed up person. You're like me. We need God's grace. We need healing, the healing which the only, only the gospel can bring us. And so that's why we come here. Uh, we are going through the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, there are some big questions that come up and that are really confusing and a little bit difficult. Like, how in the world do I square the creation account with uh, what I learned in my high school biology textbook about evolution? How do I square those? How do they work? And so I am uh, inviting you at 4 p.m. I'll be at Goat Patch Brewery to answer questions. And we are going to go back and forth on things. We're going to primarily talk about the creation account and how that works and what is it about. But we can also talk about uh, our topic today, and that is the image of God. What makes a human valuable? When does a human become a person? When does a person become a person? You know? Uh, what makes humanity special? Uh, you know, the first time listeners of the creation narrative probably had similar questions. They had been told that they were either cosmic accidents of the warring gods or that they were doomed to serve the true divine image bearers like the Pharaoh or other kings. Other stories at the time were even told, they would tell you that humans were just a curse upon the earth. In fact, most recently there was even a writer from uh, Colorado College, a professor, that said what was really wrong with all the earth and why it it is the way that it is has got to be humans and so that was one of them but then there's also this weird roman story it's a little more modern where uh, women were created to curse men well that's dignifying right you wonder how that went for the rest of them you know and you know like women are created to curse men i wonder how those relationships went it uh, probably didn't work out very well. But today we have stories that we're, you know, the product of inconsequential origin and we're headed to an inconsequential end. And therefore, you know, you're free then to just make up whatever you want your life to be. You define your identity. You define yourself. No one else can tell you uh, who you are. And so uh, life has whatever value we assign it. 
But just this week, we had to wrestle with these important questions and these important stories, apparently or ignoring Ricky Gervais' humorous, yet truthful statement that celebrities are in no position to make political speeches when they're accepting their award. Michelle Williams ignored that and said, when you put this in someone's hand, talking about her award, the Golden Globes, you're acknowledging the choices they make as, as an actor, moment by moment, scene by scene, day by day, but you're also acknowledging the choices they make as a person, the education they pursued, the training they sought, the hours they put in. I'm grateful for the acknowledgement of the choices I've made, and I'm also grateful to have lived in a moment in our society where choice exists because as, a, as women and as girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice. Williams began and she continued. I've continued, I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making. And not just a series of events that happened to me, but one that I could stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over. Sometimes messy and scrawling, sometimes careful and precise, but, that, but one that I had carved with my own hand. And I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a, women, a woman's right to choose. Now, I don't presume to know Michelle Williams. I don't know the road she's journeyed. She's a talented actress, a beautiful person. She's somebody's child. She's someone's friend. She's someone's lover. She's someone's mom. And so I cannot demonize her as some cold, calculating killer. I cannot imagine the pain of being in her position that at one time she had to choose the, of holding on to a promising future and career in one hand and being a mom to an unwanted and unplanned child in the other. I will not dehumanize her for what she's done. We all have skeletons in our closet. We've all sinned. And I believe and I know when I look in the mirror that I'm not irredeemable and she's not irredeemable. She is an image bearer of the one true God. She is loved deeply by God. Dehumanizing her at this moment would be invalidating everything I'm encouraging you to consider today. More than that, it is a pitiable estate that we're in where being a woman is seen as a liability to success. That being a mom is a hindrance. I'm calling bankrupt on that story. Call him bankrupt on that spirit, the spirit of this age. You see, Michelle Williams' statement is a product of the spirit of this age. A spirit that values individual freedom and success above all else. We're told by Twitter, People Magazine, Forbes, and TikTok that the chief end of man is to succeed and raise ourselves above the mundane. And individual freedom, that is the way to get yourself out. To decide for yourself is the chief vehicle to get us this said success. This has been the mantra of the past 150 years or so of the world. Uh, existential philosophers, they decided, you know what? Existence precedes essence. Your identity isn't bestowed upon you, but is, is one that you decide because you exist first. It believes, that if the origin, it believes that if the origins of man is not inconsequential, then we're free to make up our essence or identity because we just exist. We've got to deal with what we got right now. 
The Christian story, though, believe that your essence or identity is pretty much locked in the image-bearing of God. That you image God. And this goes for Christian and non-Christian alike. But today, that is turned on its head in contemporary living. We don't consider our origins and influence and how that influences our identity. Rather, we're just busy getting on living. And do whatever you want. Decide for yourself. No one could tell you possibly what to do. But I'm calling bankrupt on that version. Why? Because it tells you, you, you make it up? Well, then you're just as valuable as your social media likes the number that you have, the number of friends that you have, your social media influence. It's bankrupt. It isn't, it isn't what we're created for. So in this case, when we talk about Michelle Williams and we talk about abortion, according to this world, a child is just, a, just an inconvenient calculation. They're a choice. They're a calculation in the pain-pleasure calculus towards success, and we will rationalize anything according to whatever we value most. And that will become our God, whatever we value most. And then we'll reflect that into the world. The story that our contemporary world will make any person into an inconvenient calculation. They're a variable just to be canceled out. That is how we can get on social media and also justify demonizing other people. It's how we can get on social media and we could tweet about how stupid someone is or that person's an idiot or how we could justify things like racism, hatred, bigotry, and self-righteousness in the heart. It is how we justify flipping the bird to terrible drivers. They're just a car. You see that car over there? No, that is the image of God driving in that vehicle. You know, it's how we justify building our social media platforms by hot takes at the expense of other people, producing inappropriate videos, showing too much skin, because what we value or what could give us success is we see it as beauty, as being seen as smart. You know, we're valuable because we're famous. And what we've replaced is we've replaced being made in the image of God for whatever idol of success we have made. The Christian story, though, is that you are in the image of God in your whole person, and not just your soul. People are cool with souls. I'm talking about your body. You are body, soul, together. You can't separate them. You know what happens when you separate body and soul? You have death. That's that's a bad thing. I don't know if you've recognized that. But as soon as 23 pairs of chromosomal DNA get together, you are a person, an image of the divine king of the universe. It is no accident that humans have opposable thumbs, eyes to see, a consciousness. We can consider and make stuff of our world. We make plans. We use logic. We reason. We speak with our mouths. We make judgments. We name things. We create stuff. We make art. We consider our existence. It is is no accident it flows from the fact that we are image bearers of the true one true god and that's what makes us valuable and different and special and noticeable and wanted and therefore we can't play pain pleasure calculus with people we are actors in god's human drama we are his, his, God made humanity, and especially male, and specifically male and female, to reflect him into the world. 
through their embodied actions and having dominion and filling the earth. So you notice that it's connected, that being made male and female is intrinsic to the image of God. It means that men and women are equally created in the image of God in their biological sex and even in their cultural expressions of gender. It is not to be thrown aside and it can't be exchanged and it isn't as fluid as we all make it out to be at times. The image of God is intrinsically linked to our biological sex. It means that all our parts are in service to imaging God. They're not interchangeable. Men and women are not interchangeable. They are made gloriously after their image, their, the, the one who they image. Herman Bovink, the theologian, writes, So the whole human is image and likeness of God, in soul and body, and in all human faculties, powers, and gifts. Nothing in humanity is excluded from God's image. Now, I will not presume to know the extent of how the fall has damaged and messed up our world. I, not all things are equal anymore, right? Not all things are optimal anymore. I do not know what it's like to be an alien in my own skin. To look down, just be at war with myself. I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that shame and pain and difficulty of being at war with myself. So, you know, I'm going to go with what ought to be here. That's where I'm going to be. Um, and and this, that's the way it was from, from hearing, the, hearing this story. So God made male and female together to image into the world the fullness of God. That through different genders and sexes we get different facets of who God is shining into the world. See, there's not enough mirrors to comprehensively show every aspect of God. So all humanity displays in some measure a facet of the multifaceted glory of God. So it isn't that God is like humans, but humans are like God. Get that wrong, you get funny theology. Okay, Let me start boiling down to the point for everyone. So you're not in miscalculation. You're not even a calculation. You're not a clump of cells. You're not a cosmic accident. You're not tortured atoms in a pool of mud. You are not the sum of your parts. You are not how pleasurable you are to look at. You are not the sum of the likes of your social media platform. You are not an oops baby. You're not a failure. You're not your fantasy football record. At the core, even on your worst day, you are the image of God. You're not God, don't mistake that, but you image him. And this even goes for those you you hate and those whom you admire and respect most. Humans are valuable not because they're rich, not because they're poor, not because they're Democrat, not because they're Republican, not because they're famous on TikTok, not because they are lame or cool. It's not because they are uh, millennial, boomer, or Gen Xer. I don't even know who those people are. Uh, or, or a Gen Zer. Right, <laughs> Sorry, Lisa. <laughs> you are valuable because you image 
God, and he has chosen to place his image and display himself through you and everything about you. C.S. Lewis says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal. They'll change and fade. And their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Immortal whores or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. So God, according to Genesis 2, he takes man out of the dust of the earth. And in here in chapter 1, we see that man is part of the creation, but is given authority over it. It was custom for an ancient Near Eastern ruler, and so the first readers of, uh, hearers of the creation account of Genesis would know this. Whenever someone took over a land, they would say, this is my land. And what would they do? They would place an image or a statue of themselves saying, this land belongs to this person. They are the authority. It is to be, this statue is to designate their authority, control, and presence over a place. And so it is to resemble him, relate, and to to reflect him into this place. And the idol was, or this, this idol of some sort, was to image this God or this ruler, which contained, the people believed it contained the essence or identity of the God who ruled there at that temple or this place. It was thought that he would execute his work and presence into the world through this statue or idol. So, when we read or hear that God deliberately created humans in his image, we see that he is creating living statues to execute his rule and reign on the earth. But man is not after the kind of animals. No, he's after the kind of the creator, so that his rule would be on earth as it is in heaven. It means that being an image bearer is royalty. Humanity is a steward to rule in the place of the one true king. We are the vice regents of God's rule, and we do that in relation to God, uh, through relating with God. At the core of imaging God is relationship. God is a person, and we relate to him person to person. So how do we do that? You're like, oh my gosh, is he ever going to get three points like every good Presbyterian? Yes, I am, and they're like all application today. Ready? So, we image God by resembling him, reflecting him, and representing him. Resembling God. This is primarily about resembling God's authority into the world. We see, uh, by, we see that God was the authority, has the authority to rule. Notice that it is by the power of his word. He says it, and it is. The first words after he creates humanity are the words of a benediction or blessing. So, so God speaks blessing onto these people as an indication then also of what they are to do and the mission of God. How are they to image him in the world? What is humanity to do? Image him. And so he makes this world suitable for his inhabitants to, that in his inhabitants are to create a world where these image bearers may flourish and where God may dwell. So we resemble that authority. 
We see that it is the power of words, either to bless or curse. We see this in James chapter 2. He says this. And so we resemble God. So immediately, we do this in creation, toward the creation. With the exercise of authority, we see Adam naming animals. He gives them names. And whatever he named them, that's what they were. Boom. We see authority. We resemble God's actions. We mimic him. And so we do that today. We need to use our voices to speak out for creation. We should not manipulate it for selfish gain, for consumerism. So it is actually like a good thing possibly to like preserve things or speak out whenever we need to have like urban culling of animals and different things like that. Those things are good. We need to actually speak out for the right things. We speak out against injustice, speak out for justice. We need to do this in creation. Whenever we see that we poison water, we need to say, well, that's bad. That's not good. And we don't do this individually. We do this collectively as a church, as as a group of people. We use our voices. We also use our voices to bless and to curse. And this also means that, again, with one another in the image of God, you know, it, it isn't... You know, uh, as you've heard it said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie from the pit of hell, okay? Just just take that thing and just like punt it away. You want to know why someone created that jingle? Because it hurt like heck whenever someone said something bad about you. They're like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me while I'm stabbed in the heart with your words. That's the way it was going. And so we need to watch our words whenever we speak to someone, especially those whom you love the most. One of the things we could easily do this week to image God is to speak blessing toward people, to bless them with our words, to encourage them, to tell them that you see beauty in them and what they do and how they're doing it. You know, it's important that we use our words, that we resemble God by speaking, speaking up for creation, speaking blessing toward people. We need to curse the things that are curseable, the things that are wrong, the things that are corrupt. We need to curse those. You know, so what do we do? We know our words can cause someone to downward spiral into bullying, by, by our bullying on social media. Instead, we need to encourage people with our words. We need to bless our children. Look at your child and when they bring a picture to you, stop, put down the stinking phone, I'm preaching to myself, put down the stinking phone, look them in the eye and say, I am proud of you. You made that. I'm proud of you. Pick them up, give them a kiss, bless them with your words. You know, Notice people on the street. Say hello to someone. Might be the only human interaction they have all day. Speak to people. Resemble God. 
Next thing is we reflect God in his presence. Through humanity, God exercises this presence that he has not given up. He's not quit on the world. He's not uh, gone out from the world. In Exodus 19, God says to this nation, this newly formed nation, that they are a people to be to him, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So we reflect God in the way we interact with each other. And, and, you know, and so God, Jesus says, you, they will know you by your love. It is how we accept and receive one another in spite of sins that lets a watching world know that God is the one true God. And so we uh, are like priests to our creation. Do we serve and care for this place? Do we treat it the way God would want us to treat this place, this city, our streets? Do we use God's stuff and just kind of throw it away or do we use it for his glory to show that he is the one true God? Do we use his creation the way a priest would use it to bring glory and honor to God? And to one another, we mediate the presence of God to each other. We teach others about the ways of God. Do you sit down and teach your kids? Do you tell your coworkers about Jesus? Do you show them Jesus by the way you work hard, the way you love them, the way if they're down that week, you notice that they're down and you ask them if they're doing okay. You mediate God's presence, his love, his care for that place. And it's not by scolding. You know, well, if you weren't such an idiot and sleeping around, things would be awesome. That isn't going to help them. That isn't the way the gospel goes. That isn't the way Jesus does it, is it? I love you. He's sad when we're sad and he's down when we're down. He comes into our world. And so we need to reflect him into the world. Uh, I have the funniest experience because I'm a pastor. And so whenever you tell people that you're a pastor, things get weird, okay? You want to know how it gets weird? Because one time, uh, sometimes they will sit down and they will start confessing their entire life. I'm all like, this coffee shop ain't no confessional. I ain't got a collar on. I, I ain't no Catholic priest. This is getting weird. But people do that, right? Because I, they, they just want to confess, they want to have someone to like know them and like like he's a he's a pastor or a priest he's not going to reject me, you know. They're like this is their duty to God. And whenever we're told that we're a kingdom of priests, guess what? Sometimes you accept people's confessions, you listen to them. Also, the weirder thing is that you start to have people start to justify themselves. You know, I'm I'm really cool and everything. I go and help out all the time. I'm always down at my food bank. I'm like, cool. I, I don't know what to do with that. Am I supposed to give you a gold star? Like, congratulations, righteous. I, you know, it's fine. But then I have the opportunity to tell them of how they actually are good and righteous, where their justification, where their standing in the world actually comes from. And it's a beautiful thing. And so God accepts them. And he has such beautiful power that he can accept them in their shame, and it could be exposed, it could be taken away. 
we show them by G- showing them Jesus Christ. And so we also represent God, which is his control. And so he says, you know, that these people are to have uh, dominion. They're to subdue the earth. And so we direct creation for the purpose of God's kingdom because ultimately it's not our kingdom. So we do things the way God would want us to do it. We tame the creation for the good of the world in responsible ways. Um, I am not saying that you need to sell your diesel truck or anything like that. Okay? Don't hear what I'm not saying. All right? But what is a responsible way of caring for this creation? Caring for this world? Uh, maybe it's like not littering. Like pick up trash. Like that's important. Uh, like non-invasive species of plants and stuff like that. You play by the rules because it's good for the creation. And with another thing, we also do things like we make art. We make art. We see the image of God and the way people make art and beauty. What it does is art has this ability to dispossess a person of themselves and be able to feel and see the transcendent. And so in a way, art is valuable for helping us feel human and look for the divine. It is a beautiful thing. Uh, And I saw this even in my dad. My dad was a, uh, he was My dad was a sinner, so he was an alcoholic, and he was physically abusive to my family. And for a lot of years, he had, like, disowned me, which was kind of like this weird power play to kind of get me to do whatever he wanted. And after a while, I stopped playing the game, so I was real happy with being disowned, and that was cool. Um, But when he died, I ended up, like, going over to his place, and I saw something miraculous. I saw the image of God and beauty and goodness all while running headlong and face first into his sin. I get to his trailer because he had moved to a trailer park and I had helped him move after he'd gotten a DUI and I had to bust him out of jail. Not bust him out, you know, like, I had to get him out. <laughs> like, this is a criminal! Yeah, I've done criminal things, but this isn't it! Um, but I go, and, I, I go and show up to his trailer, and my dad has the most immaculate garden producing ridiculous amounts of fruit, and there's some strategy and organization. He had taken the creation of God and his small little 20 by 20 plot of yard and made the most immaculate garden. And I sat there all at once proclaiming that God is a beautiful God, And weeping all at the same time, knowing that, oh, what could have been? What could have been? Because we all know, we all know that ugliness and the corruption of sin and the fall has corrupted the beauty of the image of God. We still bear it, it still shines through, but it's corrupted. And so how in the world do we begin to get back to having this family look, that we look like the one whom we are made after? Steve Osborne was a uh, a 20-year veteran of the New York City Police Department. He was a detective. I stole this story from The Moth. If you guys like stories, I love The Moth. Follow it. So he's a 20-year veteran of the New York City Police Department. He used to serve warrants, and they'd get there at like 4.30 in the morning, and they have these stack of warrants. And so they'd get their vests on, they'd get their gun, their backup gun, and, you know, they're like, they're ready for the day. And then they look at the stack of warrants, and you see what these people have done, and on the top is a mugshot. And this was a mugshot of Hector. 
And Hector had dark black hair. He had like chiseled cheekbones with a cut under one of his eyes that you know he'd gotten from being punched in a fight. And then you see that he had this scraggly goatee, a crooked nose, and these beady little black eyes. And he's like, oh, Hector, this is a bad guy, Steve was saying. He's like, so he looks at the rap sheet, right? And, you know, assault, theft, petty theft, narcotic, you know, getting, stu- getting uh, drugs. And then he, the most recent one, he's, he's being served a warrant because he had shot someone. So it was attempted murder. The guy didn't die, so murder, attempted murder, not murder. And so he ends up like, like oh, Hector's going to be trouble. This guy's going to be a problem. Right, and so he's like, "We're going to go serve Hector, okay?" And so he goes out into the Bronx, and he's been Hector's been released, and so he's like, "Hector could be a bad guy." So they show up to this place, and they walk up to this place, and they open the door, and there they there's like vials of crack on the on the ground, there's syringes, and there's trash, and they're like, "This place is messed up. Let's get ready for a fight." You see, Hector had kind of like gotten into all this messed up stuff. And so he, they end up over there in this last known address and they knock on the door, okay? I don't, your police officer knocking on the door. I, I don't know how that works. You're going after a bad guy, knock on the door. Anyway, so he, Hector, they, Steve knocks on the door. He's like, hey, open up. And then uh, it's the police and she says, a lady behind the door says, okay. And then you start hearing all these like snap, snap, because you need like 15 locks in this place, right? And she opens up the place, and there's a clean apartment. You know, there's, there's uh, plastic over the chairs. And Steve sees this little tiny lady with a pink robe and little pink fluffy slippers. And, and, and so Steve walks in there and is like, hey, where's Hector? I've got to talk to him. And she says, Hector, Hector's dead. And he's like, lady, if you're playing with me, if you're playing with me, then this is all off. And so he looks down at the mugshot again. He's all like, he sees the beady eyes. He sees, he's like, like he, this, is, this is Hector. It's a mugshot. You know, he's got the, got the numbers and stuff. He's like, like, is this your son? Is this Hector? And she goes, yeah, but he is dead. And he's like, lady, if you're playing with me, there's going to be trouble. If he's behind that door or something like that with a knife, then there's going to be some trouble. And then the lady's daughter walks in, Hector's sister, and she says, Hector's dead. He got shot and killed just a few days ago. You could call this, this officer. He knows the whole thing. And so they go, and uh, uh, he's like, okay, fine. But he's looking at the, the mugshot one more time. He sees it. He looks to mom and says, Mom, this is Hector, right? This is your son. And she starts crying and weeping, breaking down. And she asks Steve, she says, Steve, can I have the mug shot? Can I have the mug shot? You see, what had happened was Hector had gotten into trouble. And the streets had kind of, kind of overcome and overshadowed this, this family life that he had. He became a product of the streets. And he wasn't around a lot with mom. Mom didn't see him, but she loved him. She sees this photo and she breaks down. She grabs the photo, brings it to her chest. And she says, can I have the photo? And he's like, lady, this is police property. I don't just do this. And she says, I have no other photos of him. She takes the photo. 
She walks over to this bookcase, places it with all the other family photos. Right next to Grandpa with his medals, right next to graduation photos, and there's Hector's mugshot. See, for a lot of us, we're like Hector. We don't think we're lovable. We don't think there's anything good, but God says, this is my image bearer. I love this person. He loves you. Just like the mom loved Hector. See, and at the cross, we see that God actually loves people. So how in the world are we going to be recreated so that we can image God. And Athanasius in the Incarnation on his book says, in order to redo a masterpiece, we need the original to remake it. We cannot be remade without having the original. We cannot be remade unless we have been, uh, unless the one who is the exact imprint of his nature, the one who is the image of the visible God, comes and takes our place. We have to be loved by the originator, the master. Just like Hector, we have to be loved back into the family to reflect the family. We cannot re-image God unless Jesus is the one, the one who is the true image of God, loses his image for us. It says that his appearance on the cross, was, he was made unrecognizable. We can only be made whole if he was torn apart. We can only sacrifice unless he's been sacrificed for us. On the cross, God loves us back into glory and he turns us from glorious ruins back into glory because he was ruined for us. He was ruined for us. And that's what we get at this supper. The true image of God broken apart so that we can be made whole. The life of God poured out so that we can have life as his image bearers. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, I pray that we would get at the heart how much you love us, how much you love image bearers, Lord, we are not unnoticed, unchosen, but we are loved. We are loved back into the family by Jesus. And we are remade so that we can re-image you beyond all our corruption and in spite of our corruption and our sin. Lord, as we come now to your supper, I pray that you would make it holy so that we would be made whole in Christ, so that we would be transformed, so that we would image you into our workplaces in every place that we go. Lord, be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Here at Grace and Peace, we come forward for the supper. We're invited to partake of Him.
Not because we have done anything good, not because we are famous, not because we are cool, but only because he loves us. And why does he love us? He loves us because he loves us. That's why. So you come and you eat and you drink. You'll be given bread. You could take from the common loaf. You take and you eat it immediately. And then you come and you could take from the cup. It is, we have uh, grape juice on the outer rings and wine on the inner rings. There's gluten-free bread at the table as well. You see, we come here confessing our need to be made whole again, confessing our sin, confessing our brokenness, confessing that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and that He is the only one who could repair us, so that He's the only one who can re-image us, that He is the masterpiece into whose image we are remade. But if that's not your confession, if you don't confess that Jesus is your Savior, if you've got strong objections, questions, doubts, I understand. Hang out afterward and ask me questions. We don't want you to do anything inauthentic to, to where you are in your spiritual walk, but this is for believers, people who trust in Jesus Christ, people who have professed their faith in him. And so because this is a meal of faith, let us proclaim our faith as signed and sealed in this meal Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat of it in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it as often as you do in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim his death, the death of the one true image bearer, to remake us. Amen. Lord and God, meet us now. Help us to remember, but help us to partake and participate in your work. Lord, meet us now in this meal and transform our lives by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.